Hey guys, welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, Shiel Kapadia of The Ringer joins me to break down the 3-0 Philadelphia Eagles and to abandon take to give away some of the opinions we had before the season and to say how wrong we were. A couple for me, a couple from Shiel. But first, before we start today's show, I want to plug a podcast, which is by, of all people, ESPN and Enscape contributor, Dominique Foxworth, who has a new podcast every Tuesday and Thursday. Dominique is bringing you his unique perspectives on football with the personality surrounding. So check out the Dominique Foxworth show and listen wherever you get your podcast. All right. Joining me now here on the Bill Barnwell show, completing the home and home after I made my appearance on his podcast, which is called The Scramble. The Scramble at the Ringer. It is my friend, former colleague, a man who has been at ESPN, been at The Athletic, now at The Ringer, the excellent Sheil Kapadia. Sheil, what's up? It's it's good to be here. I don't think I've ever had a pod uh, home and home like this before. So, uh, you know, it's not quite like, uh, you know, a back to back in the NBA, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm feeling pretty good about it. I feel very professional. Well, I mean, to be fair, not many people were welcomed on Birds with Friends over the years. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's true. You're right about that. A, a a energy that I think very few people could could hope to match. <laughs> Absolutely, but, yeah, that's fair. That might have been trouble for the uh, for the guests there. So you're right. I haven't had as many opportunities. Yes, but now not only you're hosting multiple shows on the Ringer, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. We've got the Ringers Philly special with me and Ben Solak. We've got uh, me and Ben Solak on Monday nights on the Ringer NFL show with a show called Extra Point Taken. And then I've got a Thursday show called The Scramble with with me and a various guest uh, like yourself. So there you go. I think I got all the plugs out of the way in like the first two minutes. That might be a new record. Real investment in Solak here, I feel like. <laughs> That's right. Really, really extended Solak very quickly into the, uh, very quickly into your time with the Ringer. Tied your, tied your ship to Solak. Ben is great, so I have no doubts there. But it's a dangerous game to play. Well, I talked to him, as I told him, I talked to him more than I talked to my uh, family at this point <laughs> with all those shows. He made a he he made some comment where I thought he was asking if he could email me, mm-hmm. which wasn't what he was asking. But I was like, no, you may not. I talk to you plenty uh, where you don't need to be <laughs> communicating with me through another means. So, yeah, that's where we're at with our relationship. That's incredible. What a already already feel like you're years into that relationship based on mm-hmm. that conversation. Um <laughs> We are going to get to a couple things today. You, of course, are in the Philadelphia area. Pay close attention to the Eagles. Like you said, you have a Philadelphia-focused podcast. So we're going to talk Eagles after their 3-0 start. And then later on, we're going to talk about some of the things we may have felt before the season that we're just getting rid of three weeks into the year. We we did a segment on your show that was basically pick a take, uh, where you gave me two frankly infuriatingly close choices and i had to pick one of them today we are going back and forth and just giving away takes that we felt were confident before the season and now after three weeks seem foolish so we're abandoning ship on those but first let's start with a team that i mean i don't know how you felt about them heading into the year but certainly exceeding my expectations through the first three weeks of the season the three and oh Philadelphia Eagles, one of two teams in the NFL to start 3-0 along the Miami Dolphins. And I guess we'll start there, Sheila. In terms of the performance, how surprised are you to see the Eagles playing as well as they have 
through the first three weeks of the season. Yeah, they've definitely surpassed my expectations. I mean, I, I had them as a really good team, 11 and six, but I kind of had that with the context of, well, they have a really easy schedule. You know, they'll maybe they'll win some close games. They've got good depth. So I felt like they could withstand some injuries that maybe other teams might not be able to withstand. But the way they've done it, uh, their ceiling is absolutely higher than I expected. You know, just the way Jalen Hurts has played so far, specifically the way he played in that Monday night game a couple of weeks ago, like yeah. that was a version of Jalen Hurts that I was like, oh, I didn't know that, you know, this guy <laughs> existed. As much as I've been asked about Hurts over the last two years, that's always been in the back of my head. Like, what is the best version of this guy actually look like? And if he's capable of playing at that level, even if it's not uh, every week, then they really have a chance to make some noise uh, in the playoffs. So I had him 11 and six, but I think losing in the first or second round of the playoffs, where now it certainly seems like you're not, um, you know, you're not crazy to think that they could make a, a deep playoff run and potentially get to the Super Bowl. Absolutely. I mean, that is the upside they have so far this year through three games where I think a lot of people, myself included, would put them maybe in a group with the Bills, maybe with the Dolphins, depending on how you feel about Miami, but among the absolute best teams in football, full stop. Uh, in terms of this roster, we talked about Jalen Hurts a little bit. I'm sure we're going to talk more about him, but on the whole, does the offense playing really well surprise you more, or does the defense playing as well as it has over the first three weeks surprise you more relative to your expectations heading into the season? It's definitely the defense. I mean, I yeah. didn't have a lot of faith in this defense. I thought this defense stunk last year. You know, mm -hmm. they finished uh, 25th in DVOA, I think it was. And if you look back, like as far back as DVOA goes, that was the third worst defense like the Eagles have had during that era of what, mm. 30 to 40 years. And wow. it, and really that's what it looked like when you watch it. And that was with beating up on some horrible quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. I mean, they got to face Garrett Gilbert and Jake Fromm. Like there were four or five quarterbacks they played last year who uh, are either out of the league or backups mm -hmm. this year. And so anytime they faced even a competent quarterback, uh, let alone a good quarterback, I mean, the good quarterbacks picked them apart. And then like someone like a Derek, car who you would say, all right, you know, solid, uh, competent quarterback. Mm -hmm. I think he completed 90% of his passes against them. And so wow. they were just really vanilla. They didn't have a plan B. They played a lot of zone. They played a lot of uh, off coverage. They weren't aggressive. They prioritized stopping explosive plays over everything else, which they did a good job of stopping explosive mm -hmm. plays, but uh, teams weren't really bothered by it. I mean, right. I was making the joke every week that like quarterbacks basically didn't have to take a shower after they faced <laughs> the Eagles. I mean, they weren't even breaking a sweat in some of those games. They felt no pressure. And so uh, I will give their defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon credit, and I will mm -hmm. give the GM Howie Roseman credit because it's a, it's a defensive roster that should be able to produce a top 10 unit. Mm -hmm. But going into the season, I was very skeptical that it would. And so far it's been very good. Yeah. I mean, to your points about Quarterbacks not needing to take a shower a year ago, that has changed here in 2022. 11 sacks from the front four so far this season. Only 26th in pressure rate. That kind of surprised me, according to Stats and Info. But they're eighth in sack rate and number one in the NFL and QBR when they do get pressure, where quarterbacks are 9 of 22 for negative 33 yards net, which mm. is a little negative dramatic. 33, wow. Negative 33 net, 11th in the league in QBR when they don't get pressure, which I think speaks to the upgrades they've made in terms of coverage, both in personnel and in terms of what that personnel lets them uh, accomplish in the secondary. 
Yeah, their their secondary has also been very good. I mean, you mentioned it. I mean, the way they're built, it's defensive line, pass rush, invest, invest, invest some more. Let's go like seven or eight deep with either high draft picks or guys we're paying a lot of money to. Yep. That's always sort of that's been their philosophy now for probably 20, 22, 23 years. And so that's no surprise. Uh the corners have been outstanding. Like mm-hmm. Darius Slay was really good last year. I thought he played at an all pro level, but I think he's 29 or 30. And so at that age with corners, you're, you know, it's a volatile position. You sure could is. be great one year and then the next year you're not so good. And so that was a question I had coming into the season, but he's played very well. And then, man, James Bradbury just fell into their laps. Like, I don't know if they had a plan B at at corner or not, or if they were just going to go with one of the young guys. But just this past week, just watching the film against the commanders, like they tried to test him Mm -hmm. with two double moves and it was just like beautifully covered where he, Mm -hmm. he just did not fall for it at all. One of them, one of them led to a sack. And so uh, Bradbury looks really good. He looks Mm -hmm. like what you're expecting when you sign a veteran who's played a lot who's not really old quite yet. And um, and he was someone who, you know, was a shrewd move to kind of get him when they did and make sure they upgrade that second corner spot. And then their, their slot corner, Avante Maddox, mm-hmm. has been outstanding. Like, I, I haven't watched every slot corner in the NFL uh, this year, but I would be hard-pressed to think that there's somebody playing better than him right now. So uh, I think their corners are playing pretty much as well as I can remember an Eagles group of corners playing in a really, really long time. Do you think that'll be a niche one day? Do you think they'll just be the the like slot corner Twitter where it's just one guy who watches every single slot corner every week? Yeah, I think that's right. Like Brandon Thorne, if I need yes. like an offensive line assessment, I'm like, all right, I need to go see what Brandon Thorne said. He is by, he's absolutely mm-hmm. going to have a much better opinion than I ever could, mm-hmm. even if I was grinding all the film. So yeah, mm-hmm. I do. There's like a niche for everything, but uh, maybe that, that's a good, that's a good niche to have. It's fun watching slot corners. It is. And they're an incredibly valuable part of the roster. I think about Patrick Robinson kind of showing up for the Eagles during that Super Bowl season. He was so good for a guy they got pretty much for nothing heading into that season. Um, you mentioned Roseman, and I think he's such a weird sort of person in the NFL in terms of his career because I I don't know I, I can't think of anybody who's had higher highs and lower lows over a longer period of time in one single job than Howie Roseman has over the past 15 years. I, I know you were gone for part of that covering the Seahawks, but you've covered this team off and on for a, a large part of Roseman's tenure. I mean, is it weird that Eagles fans or people around the NFL can simultaneously go from thinking Roseman is a genius to a total fraud who needs to be fired to being a genius again in the course of like a four-year window? Yeah, you're 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 right. It, it is weird. I mean, I, I think the thing with Howie Roseman, it's never been so much about like his roster building or his decision making. Like he's not the one getting dunked on for, oh my gosh, how could you make this trade? Or what were you thinking about how you use these resources? Like that's what a lot of the conversation is about how if GMs are good or bad or their draft record. I mean, I think the issues if he's had have been more about, you know, like leadership and mm-hmm. relationships with people in the building. And mm-hmm. that's the part of GMing that doesn't get talked about enough, probably, you know, it's like that person's job, not in every organization, but certainly for the Eagles Mm -hmm. and for some other teams, like that person's job is to make sure that 
you know, everything's aligned between ownership and the coaching staff and the analytics department mm -hmm. and the scouting staff. Like there's a lot of egos uh, in an NFL building. And there's a lot of people who don't see the same thing exactly the same, whether it's a roster move or a player or a draft pick. And so I think when he's had issues, it's been more related to that stuff. And hey, everyone's not aligned and people mm -hmm. are butting heads. And are you, are you doing enough to sort of alleviate, alleviate those things and mm -hmm. massage those relationships? Or are you kind of adding on to it? And a lot of it is just sort of the structure, I think of the Eagles organization, you know, it's the ownership and uh, you know, Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman are the two decision makers. Mm -hmm. And it's been that way for a long time, aside from a year or two there with Chip Kelly. And so um, that's different than a lot of organizations where it doesn't feel like the GM is so aligned uh, with the owner. And so that, that's what I think leads to a lot of those sort of mixed feelings, but man, you know, the roster he's put together, if you just like, like watching the film of their game against the commanders, mm -hmm. I just said, you know, that was really like a Howie Roseman game because they won that game because they had players just crushing their one-on-one -on -one matchups, AJ Brown, mm -hmm. Devonte Smith, the Eagles mm -hmm. defensive line against Washington's offensive line. Like that wasn't a game where you're like, wow, schematic brilliance. It was sort <laughs> of like, you know, throw the ball up to these awesome wide receivers or mm -hmm. Hey, rush with four and look, the center's on his back and mm -hmm. the right tackles getting smoked and you mm -hmm. just got another sack. So uh, he's absolutely put together a fantastic roster this season. And that's pretty remarkable given where this uh, roster was just, uh, you know, two years ago after that 2020 season i mean they were they were being accused of tanking on national television with a broken roster and now they have one of the best rosters in football and it's it's so fascinating to me that i think you know the the perception changes so dramatically over the course of a couple of years about a guy who i mean like i think howie roseman did, did a good job the past couple of years i think he made some bad decisions during the sort of tail end of the wentz era some of the moves he made didn't work out necessarily some of the deals didn't pan out the way he would have hoped but like i don't think he's a totally different person now than the guy he was two years ago no yeah no he i i would say like he's absolutely not he's you know i think he's the uh the same guy you know he's made the, and he's also i i do think his strength is sort of this phase you know like the rebuilding like getting off of bad contracts and shoot this roster's a mess you know we we got to get ourselves some cap space and let's not lock ourselves in to bad contracts like all those things mm -hmm. he's really good that good at and then you know just being opportunistic with stuff like the AJ Brown trade you know it's hey you're not you're not going to pay him yes absolutely we will take that guy mm -hmm. he's a difference maker so i don't know i feel like my new like working theory is just that most GMs are pretty much the same. We're yeah. not separated by that much. You know, there are some who you obviously point to and are like, oh my gosh, they're making ridiculous decisions. You know, there's probably like, I don't know what, five of those mm -hmm. in a given year where mm -hmm. you're just like, this team's probably not going to have any chance. And mm -hmm. then I think most of the rest of them are pretty I, much, you know, in, in kind of the same boat. I don't know if that's yeah. right or not, but that's sort of how I look at it more and more. I feel like these days. I don't disagree with you whatsoever. And I think, you know, with Roseman, he's probably not as good as he looks at his absolute peak, and he's probably not as bad as he looks when it feels like everybody is calling for him to be fired, um, right. which is true of pretty much all those GMs that you were alluding to. Um, what I find interesting about the Commanders game is it felt like a real difference to me from the Eagles offense of a year ago because the running game did absolutely nothing. It was the second worst rushing performance of the entire season for any team by EPA per play. Wow. The Eagles running the ball last week against the Commanders, and yet it didn't matter. The offense 
got 24 points before halftime, didn't score after halftime, in part because the running game was not working very well, but they still had enough points to comfortably win that football game. And I think it really contrasted to me with what we saw from them in the playoffs last year. They played the Bucks, who have a very good run defense, and the Bucks stifled their rushing attack, and the Eagles didn't really have a plan B on offense for most of that game. They struggled to throw the ball when they were in third and long and struggled to throw the ball in passing situations. And now that feels like they don't have to be able to run the ball effectively. They can still throw the ball in those situations, and that's a big leap forward for that team. It gives them another way for them to win football games that I don't think was there um, even during most of the 2021 season. Yeah, they're, they're, you know, the first half of last season, they were uh, among the league leaders or top eight or whatever in kind of just pass rate in neutral situations. And then, like you mentioned, they totally changed how they played. That wasn't working for them. And they were one of the most run heavy teams in the final eight or nine weeks of the season. And now they they absolutely are more of a pass first team. I mean, you watch these games and they come out throwing the football, trying to gain a lead. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not as simple as, hey, you got A.J. Brown, but man, that makes a big difference. I mean, just oh, look at sure. it in some of these high leverage situations. Like there is a luxury in being like, all right, it's it's third and goal. Our first two plays didn't work. Mm-hmm. Hey, what if we just throw a slant to that guy <laughs> on the outside who's really good? And it sounds like silly, but they've done that multiple times this season on a third down. Or man, we just had a three and out. What do we go with? Hey, let's throw a little screen to AJ Brown. He'll knock someone on the, on their back mm-hmm. and pick up like eight yards, and the crowd will be real hype, and, and the team his team mates will be really hyped like that absolutely has been a strength of theirs which is just don't overthink it sometimes like you got this guy uh for a reason and so that's been part of it it's opened up the middle of the field for them mm-hmm. obviously a, a lot's been talked and written about how Jalen Hurts did not really use the middle of the field last year well that looks different this year with AJ Brown and so uh yeah you know I think organizationally from ownership on down they've believed for over 20 you know 20 25 years that you have to be a good passing team to basically have any kind of sustained mm-hmm. success. And so I suspected that this year they would be like, yeah, we want to do what we need to do to win games. But also if we're going to find out whether Jalen Hurts is the guy, we sort of need to find out if he can throw the football effectively and consistently with the weapons that we have around him and with a great offensive line. And so, hey, it's only three games. We'll see once they face some uh, better defenses, mm-hmm. if they're still able to do that. But uh, you're a hundred percent right about the approach and, and what it's been so far. Yeah, and I, to your point about the middle of the field, Jalen Hurts, 23rd in QBR on passes over the middle of the field between the numbers, this year third best in football after being 23rd a year ago, averaging 10.6 yards per attempt. And of course, A.J. Brown plays a big role in that. And I think, you know, like the Eagles have a way of sort of making things simpler a lot of the times. Like I think when you look at the A.J. Brown trade, it, it makes so much sense. Number one, they needed the weapon over the middle of the field, a physical guy who could win on third down, win on contested catches. Dante Smith might be able to do that stuff, but he wasn't, you know, his size makes that a more difficult problem to, to pull off. And the Titans were not playing A.J. Brown enough. Even when he was on the field, even when he was healthy and, and playing, he was playing 72, 73% of the snaps. He's at 85% now through three weeks. He's running more routes per game than he has during his time with Tennessee. And I know that, hey, play that really good wide receiver more often seems like a really dumb and and not not, not really insightful thing, but that's kind of what the Eagles are doing and it's working. 
Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, just watching them in training camp, it was like, okay, there's no doubt that they're just going to be feeding this guy, uh, you know, a lot. And he's kind of the focal point of the offense that was evident at practices. And then once the the first game started, it was like, okay, yep, that's carrying over um, to the game. So uh, you're right about simplifying stuff. I mean, even this this last game like if you watch it you wouldn't mm-hmm. you know if you watch it closely uh, it's not like Jalen Hurts had this incredible elite quarterbacking performance and that sounds crazy to say because he threw for 340 yards and three touchdowns and they dominated the game but a lot of it was his best trait in that game was I'm going to give our really good players opportunities to make plays and I'm going to be aggressive and like really focused and direct in doing that. And so a lot of times he was just throwing the ball up. It's a one-on-one on the outside. It's single high coverage. Hey, Devonte Smith is really good. And AJ Brown's really good. I'm going to give them chances. And then it was just like, you know, four or five drives in a row where they're making unbelievable plays. So sometimes you don't have to overthink it. Like, I think that's true with coaching It's like, it doesn't always have to be about the scheme you drew up on Tuesday while the coaches were meeting during the players off day. It doesn't always mm-hmm. have to be the scheme that's being, uh, you know, shared on social media by, you know, the, the, everyone who's following film, like, Oh my, look at what mm-hmm. they did with this motion or, mm-hmm. you know, look at what they did with this route concept. Like, especially in the NFL, if you have just, if you're wide receivers are better than the other team's cornerbacks, mm-hmm. then go ahead and spam that and spam that and spam mm-hmm. that some more until it doesn't work. And, uh, you know, their willingness to do that has really stood out through the first three weeks. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now you mentioned that the schedule is going to get harder. And so I guess my final question for you when it comes to the Eagles and when it comes to this offense is, is there a defense that you think might give them trouble? Like, is there, whether it's a a concept, whether it's a personnel grouping, whether it's just a dude who you think is just the the mismatch of all mismatches for this defense, like who is going to give this offense problems that we haven't seen so far this season? Yeah, it's, you know, because of what I just said, it's almost like, well, who are the most talented defenses, right? Because if you can just have someone who can match up with those guys on the outside, then all of a sudden you're taking away um, a lot of what the Eagles are able to do. So if they were to like face the Bucks again, you know, that's probably going to be a tough matchup. The Bucks are really good on defense. They're going to be a tough matchup for anybody. And so um, they would be a tough matchup for them. But the schedule thing is tough because they've got the third easiest schedule mm-hmm. the rest of the way per football outsiders and they're three and oh and i think they're over under for wins now is all the way up to 12 and a half so like they're going to be favored in maybe every game almost every game i mean they've got the packers at home so we'll see where the two teams are there they could be favored in that game they might they might not be but Mm -hmm. just in terms of defenses honestly i think this weekend's going to be fun Mm -hmm. against the jaguars i mean the jaguars defense like We'll see how good it is, but they've got like a bunch of athletes yep. and they've got size and speed and young guys and up front, you know, they run a lot of stunts and games and, uh, you know, Josh Allen has been playing, uh, playing great for them. Mm-hmm. And Devin Lloyd has been playing great for them. And, uh, you know, their defensive coordinator, Mike Caldwell was on staff with Tampa Bay during that mm-hmm. playoff game last year with Todd Bowles, where the Eagles offense looked terrible. And so it goes to kind of what we were just talking about. Yes. The Eagles offense is different. Now they've got AJ Brown. They're operating differently, but how different is it? And so I think we'll find that out uh, this weekend. You know, they face some different approaches like the Lions in week one Mm -hmm. came out and said, we're going to blitz you. We're going to play man coverage. We're going to be in your face. And like it did, it didn't work that well. But in week two, the Vikings came out and were just like, yeah, we're going to play too deep Mm -hmm. split safety zone. And that I felt like, like, I don't think you can play them like that 
right with the weapons they have mm-hmm. and you know how hurts has matured i think you're going to be in a lot of trouble so i do think you you want to force the action a little bit like there are times where their offense looks a little uh chaotic when some of those blitzes come their way it's not always reflected in the numbers because hurts can make plays with his legs but mm-hmm. i think that's what you'll see with the jaguars where they're going to come out and they're not going to sort of play passively conservatively they're going to try to force things to happen mm-hmm. and it wouldn't shock me if they uh you know if they gave the eagles offense in trouble mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, I lied. I have one more Eagles question, and then we'll move on to uh, abandon ship on takes. But last week, the Eagles traveled to Washington for a reunion with Carson Wentz. It felt like, I don't know what percentage you'd put on it, but a significant percentage of Eagles fans were in the crowd and did not express many positive thoughts towards their farmer starting quarterback. This week, they got a home game against Doug Peterson the former Eagles head coach who led them to a Super Bowl only several years ago. What kind of reaction do you think Peterson will get from Eagles fans? Oh, he'll, he'll get rousing ovations. Everybody. (laughs) uh, Yeah, no, the fans love Doug Peterson. Honestly, inside the building, I, there were people who thought probably that Doug Peterson deserved to get fired and wasn't doing a good job. But even those people would probably admit that like, well, we're going to kind of miss having him around. Like he's a Mm -hmm. fun head coach. You know what I mean? Like he was just uh, well liked inside the building. And so uh, I think he'll get a big, I mean, there's a statue of the guy outside the, uh, outside the stadium. He brought them their only Super Bowl. He brought them a lot of great memories. I mean, I was thinking Doug Peterson's probably, I, I would imagine he would be, I don't know if like chip on the shoulder is the right word, but he's probably looking at it like i won a super bowl i got the team to the playoffs mm-hmm. two years after that mm-hmm. and oh now they got aj brown and Devontae smith <laughs> yeah you know what i could have coached some pretty good offense if i would have had um those guys and so i think a lot of this stuff has aged well mm-hmm. in doug peterson's favor even the carson wentz stuff you know like yeah. that was a big reason why he got fired because wentz was terrible that year and wentz hasn't been very good since then so mm-hmm. was it coaching or was it um carson wentz now having said that the team sucked in 2020 yes. and the offense looked stale and um you know he looked like he was out of ideas on some front so I, i'm not you know meaning to say that he was doing a great job but no i think he'll get a uh i think he'll get a very warm reception from the fans and from the uh from the players who are still on the team who played under him only on the bill barnwell show can you find out that coaching aj brown better than coaching jj arthago whiteside if you need a <laughs> number one receiver uh, that's true and obviously i, I think peterson kind of got a bad rap at the end you know, certainly his work in taking a team that was kind of a mess when he took it over after the Chip Kelly year and got them to a Super Bowl in two seasons. I think one of the best coaching jobs we saw in football over the past decade. And I know what happened next wasn't pretty, but I think we're seeing with the Jaguars, like just getting a competent coach in there uh, has really turned that organization around. They look really promising. That's going to be a fun one this weekend in Philly. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8-S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Okay, so I alluded to the other segment of this show and... 
we have to write a lot before the season. I know you're doing more podcasting now and you're great at that, but you're also one of the best writers uh, about the NFL out there. And you have to give a lot of opinions. You give a lot of thoughts. You cover the entire league and do it really well. And so there's only a few of us out there who have to really pay attention to the entire NFL. And so I wanted to talk with you about the ideas, the opinions, the takes we had in August that we are now just abandoning after watching the first few weeks of the NFL season. So I will let you go first if you would like. I'm happy to go first as well. But I have a couple, and I want to hear what you have to say about the takes that you are abandoning after the first three weeks of the NFL season. Sure, yeah, I can start. I had the uh, Chargers winning the AFC West and making the AFC Championship. And I feel like I need to explain this one because if you make a prediction like that and a team gets decimated by injuries, Listen, not everyone's going to let you off the hook, but reasonable people will, right? They Mm -hmm. understand that there's going to be luck with injuries. That's not my issue with the Chargers. (laughs) Like, I'm so annoyed by the the Chargers and the way they've approached this season, injuries aside. And we know the injuries are probably going to be the factor why they're not going to be, uh, you know, great the rest of the way. But man, just watching that week two game after a year plus of Brandon Staley sort of, you know, being this guy, Hey, we want our team to play with an aggressive mindset. And that's why I'm going for it on fourth down. Like, I know that didn't make sense to everybody. That made sense to me. I was like, yes, explain it. You're doing a good job. Communicate it with the public release. He was releasing those videos every week from his Mm -hmm. office. I'm like, this is good. Listen, you're not going to win everyone over, but uh, I think your players will understand. And I do think there's, something to that that when a an offense like i mean you we just talked about the jaguars like watch the jaguars on fourth down like mm-hmm. they're not even thinking about coming off the field they're mm-hmm. okay what's the play call we know we're going for it here it's an obvious go situation and so that's what i thought we were getting with staley and then he just totally reversed course in that mm-hmm. in week two and maybe it's not going to last all season but he got really conservative in that game, he's kicking field goals. He's punting on fourth and one from midfield. I mean, there were three different opportunities mm-hmm. in that game. So that annoyed me uh, a little bit. And then, you know, this last week, Justin Herbert with time winding down mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter and you're down four touchdowns <laughs> and the guy's ribs, rib cartilage, yep. you know, he is in pain. He, there's mm-hmm. close-ups of his face in the second quarter and he's in pain mm-hmm. and you leave him in the game and then you say, well, you know, he wanted to be out there with his teammates. Yeah. Guess what? Every player wants to do that. These, <laughs> these guys are like, not like, they're just like, they feel like they can play through anything. Mm-hmm. And your job as the head coach is to take the most important guy in the yep. franchise and say, listen, Justin, I get it. But like, we're taking this out of your hands. Go have a seat. It's a long season. We have a lot we want to accomplish. Instead, he's out there on a four dropping back 14 more times mm-hmm. on their final drive with a rib injury. And so uh, I just have questions about sort of the the leadership there, the decision-making there, injuries aside. I mean, the injuries are a huge factor, like I said, but that if I would have known that some of this sort of just managing the team, managing the players type stuff was going to surface, there's no way uh, I would have picked them to be that good. Sorry, I feel like I just ranted for like 10 no, minutes. But yeah. No, you had to get that out. And I appreciate <laughs> I had to that. get it out. I have two things to say. Number one, there are teams where if they got banged up with injuries, I would be like, you know what? You couldn't have seen that happening. And I'm willing to believe that that was just an unlucky year. But this is the Chargers. 
right. you're talking about. It feels like every single year the Chargers have at least one or two of their young superstars mysteriously suffer an injury in week two, and then he doesn't return until week 16. Um, usually it's Derwin James. This year it's it's Joey Bosa. It's Rashawn Slater is out for the year. It's Justin Herbert being mishandled, and it's J.C. Jackson being mishandled who had ankle surgery before the season comes into week two plays 100 of the snaps against the chiefs and then misses the week three game against the jaguars with apparently a, an ankle injury so major issues there and i think the other part of it and this reminds me a little bit of peterson given how he was how he acted on fourth downs during his time in philadelphia i felt like he not to maybe the same extent or not maybe uh, on such a a national stage but he was a guy where during that super bowl season he was aggressive on fourth down and lauded for it with the most famous play of course being really special at the end of the first half against the patriots in the super bowl but in the subsequent years he was not as aggressive on fourth down there were moments where i think there were questions about hey why is this guy not going for this now when he went for it a couple years ago in the same situation and i think when it comes to staley and keeping peterson in mind i wonder are we maybe too quick to like anoint guys as like these analytics friendly fourth down guys and maybe that fluctuates more significantly from year to year or roster to roster than we sort of think once they've proven themselves yeah i i think a lot of it comes down to like they every coach basically takes into account what do i think of my offense and what do i think of my defense and you know, even like John Harbaugh, the the year he was getting all the credit, like he was pretty honest that, man, our defense was having a real tough time in the beginning of the season. And that's why I was so aggressive. And I think that played into it with Staley for sure. But man, you still have like Justin Herbert. And these weren't, you know, to me, like, sure, if you don't want to go for it, um, you know, deep in like in your own territory, but those against the Chiefs, those decisions. And especially, I mean, he really felt like he was all in with it. You know, he was really outside the box uh, with his thinking as it compares to other coaches, but you're right. I think we probably discount how much they kind of take into account. Well, what do I think of my team right now? Do I like my defense? Do I not like my defense? That plays into it uh, for sure. Quite a bit. Absolutely. And nothing wrong with that. Like, I think it's reasonable to consider your personnel and what you're good at, but anything the chargers have better defense this year than they did a year ago i i don't know we will see what happens i guess in the weeks to come um i i mentioned john harbaugh i'll go with the ravens where i looked at their off-season moves i looked at trading marquise brown not really adding a replacement using a first round pick on tyler linderbaum um adding a couple of tight ends in the draft to me what that told me about this offense was that they were going to be more of a run-heavy offense than they were in 2021. They tried to be more balanced in 2021, and I felt like it was for the worst. Lamar Jackson didn't play his best football. The rushing game wasn't as efficient, and they had been much better in 2019 and 2020 as one of the league's most run-heavy offenses, especially in neutral situations. So here comes 2022. We are three weeks in. Lamar Jackson looks like an MVP candidate throwing and running the football. And the Ravens have the sixth highest early down pass rate per Ben Baldwin of The Athletic and his website, rbsdm.com. So I'm throwing out that prior and the idea that the Ravens were going to be a more run-heavy offense because I think we've seen over the first three weeks of the year that they can be a very effective passing attack with Lamar Jackson throwing at a rate, not just league average like it was a year ago, but well above league average on early downs in neutral situations. 
Yeah, I, I was right there with you. I mean, I was struggling to come up with a reason why the Ravens offense was going to be different than it's been or, or not different, but better than it's been yeah. over the last couple of years. When you looked at the supporting cast that Lamar Jackson was playing with, I was just like, I don't, I don't know. You know, they have the same offensive coordinator. Their wide receivers aren't as good. Um, their offensive line has questions. Like I, I think I had them around 12th or something when I just did my preseason mm -hmm. uh, projections of the offenses. Mm -hmm. And they've been way better than that. I mean, he really, that Dolphins game, I thought that was as good as he's ever looked specifically as a passer. And this is a guy who had an MVP season. So I don't want to like discount what right. he's put out there on film. But I mean, he was just fantastic in that game. And, you know, I don't know that there's a player asked to do more for their offense than Lamar Jackson. He's got 12 offensive touchdowns. That's more than 30 teams in the NFL. The only exceptions are the Ravens who he plays for. He's accounted for all 12 of their offensive touchdowns, either running or passing. And then the other team with 12 is the Detroit Lions. So uh, yeah, he's been, uh, he's been fantastic this year with so much at stake, not only for that team, but with his contract kind of hanging over uh, everything. So I was with you that that has certainly been a, a surprise to me. Mm, absolutely. Uh, do you have one more take that you're willing to give up and say, I am no longer endorsing this opinion. Yeah. I thought the dolphins had a chance to be a real train wreck. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this season. Yeah, I agree. You know, um, I, you know, I, I, I didn't know about Mike McDaniel. Like I didn't have a strong opinion that, Hey, he's going to be great or he's going to stink, but I just thought, okay, everyone's assuming like usually when a wide receiver goes away from Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. He's not going to a better situation. And then I looked at it first time head coach, uh, wild ownership situation where the guy's just meeting people on boats, trying to get new quarterbacks uh, every year and, you know, can't even tamper. Right. And so I was just like, man, that thing could really blow up. And so I don't know that the dolphins are, you know, going to win a super bowl. I, I think they'll come back to down to earth a little bit, but just what I've seen from uh, McDaniel so far, I have really liked it. You know, just his focus on, Hey, we're going to get our playmakers the ball over mm -hmm. and over and over again. Like that sounds so Simple and oh, it's easy, but like sometimes it's not that easy. I mean, go look at the Raiders and Devontae Adams uh, right now. Like it's, it can be hard to integrate even a great player. And so um, the way he's done that, the offensive scheme, like you really just look at if coaching is putting your players in the best position to succeed. And if you can do that with the quarterback, especially you might have a special talent. Uh, I think it's been pretty apparent that he's been doing that with Tua Tungavailoa through three weeks. I mean, they're first in the NFL right now in offensive EPA per drive. And so um, I had questions about their offensive line. I thought, how, okay, fine. You got Tyreek Hill. How are you going to scheme around that offensive line? Well, they found ways um, to do that. Also, I think his game management in that Raven scheme specifically mm -hmm. has been very good. And so um, we'll see. We just talked about how our opinions on coaches can change yes. uh, year to year or within a year. So I'm not saying the guy is going to go into the hall of fame, but uh, I think I had the Patriots at nine and eight and mm -hmm. the dolphins at eight and nine. I thought mm -hmm. they were similar teams, but I kind of like the Patriots a little bit better. Uh, I would like to probably reverse that um, after three games, the early returns for the dolphins have been pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. Even if they're not, you know, undefeated the rest of the way. I think they've done enough to prove they have a higher ceiling, especially on offense, than I think we expected heading into the season. I feel the same way. And frankly, they could be even better. I mean, they've obviously they can't win more than 100% of their games, but they've dropped, I think, two, three pick sixes on the defensive side of the ball. They've certainly dropped one 
on that weird Josh Allen play at the end of the first half on that, that fake spike that he bobbled. And it was like 2019 Josh Allen came back to us for a second and uh, Lamar almost threw a pick six at the end of, of, of week two. So they could be even more productive and, and even more uh, even more dominating than they've been so far this season. So yeah, I think Mike McDaniel deserves a lot of credit. I think the offense looks great. And I think they are well positioned to be a legit contender in the AFC. One team I'll finish up here that I thought was going to be, if not a Super Bowl contender, at least a legitimate contender in the AFC that I'm 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 getting concerned about. This one might be one I'm not willing to give up on the Colts altogether, but I am very concerned about the offensive line because for years, the thing, if you didn't know anything about football, if you just wanted to be a, a, a person on a talk show talking about the Colts, the one thing you could say is, well, they have a great offensive line. That is no longer the case. This line is a mess. The Chiefs beat them up in that game on Sunday. Uh, Danny Pinter, their right guard, has been one of the worst linemen in football through three weeks. There were, there were three plays in that game. I just went back and watched it this afternoon. Three plays where it was a totally unblocked defender rushing up the A-gap, which is like the the first rule of pass protection is don't let someone rush up the A-gap. Another play where there was a totally unblocked rusher running up the B-gap, which is the second rule of pass protection. Don't let someone run up the B-gap totally untouched. Um, and that's not that's not about being physical. It's not about having great players. That's just about communication. That's about, about knowing wh- how to sort stuff out on the fly. And seeing that happen with Ryan Kelly, who's supposed to be one of the best centers in football, and Matt Ryan, who is a veteran quarterback who has seen just about everything uh, a pass rush can show to a quarterback over the course of his career, really, really worries me. I think Jonathan Taylor is playing well, but not great. And Ryan, I mean, I'm not ready to cut bait on Ryan. I don't think he's lost necessarily, but man, I mean, his deep throw so far this year, it just does not look like there's much zip on his passes. So this could be a team where I think all they can really do is dink and dunk and run the ball well, but not as well as they did a year ago. And that, I don't know if they have the the defense to hold up their end of the bargain and be a 10-win team, which is kind of where I had them heading into the season. Yeah, I had them at 10 and 7. I was kind of concerned about some stuff, but I was like, well, the division stinks. I think they had one of the easiest schedules in the NFL. It's like well, Frank Reich has gotten at least, you know, mediocre to above average offenses from all these different quarterbacks. I have to say, like, that team looks stinks right now. Like, that's one of the worst teams in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, right. uh, you forget statistically, like just watching them mm-hmm. over the first three weeks, it's everything you said. And listen, some of it could have been easily predicted. I mean, they went into the season with the, probably the worst left tackle situation in the NFL. They went into the season with one of the worst wide receiver situations in the NFL. Matt Ryan is 37 years old. And like that game that they, that, one on Sun last week against the Chiefs, the amount of things that needed to go their way just to barely win that game at the last second. I mean, botched fake field goals, missed yep. field goals, missed extra points, uh, phantom uh, or a mysterious Chris Jones penalty <laughs> there, a Travis Kelsey drop touchdown. I mean, there were so many things in that game where I'm just re-watching it on Monday and I'm just like, wait, how did the Colts win this game again? And so uh, they easily could be, Oh, two and one, you nailed it with the protection issues. Matt Ryan doesn't look comfortable. You know, I think we've been spoiled with some of these Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady to be like, okay, guy's 37. Well, he still has a couple of years left in him. I mean, maybe not every quarterback. He right. does not look good 
at all. And so uh, defensively, you know, they're, I know they were fine last week, but they're going to play the most vanilla scheme in the NFL and their talents, just not that great uh, really on either side of the ball when you look at it. So listen, if they get Darius Leonard back, um, if they figure some things out, uh, I'm not gonna go, gonna rule them out because the AFC is not great, but, um, I don't know how anyone could be like, you know, how a start could be any more discouraging than what we've seen from the Colts through the first three weeks of the season. I think what adds on to it is just like, it's not like this isn't a young team where you're like, mm-hmm. all right, they're taking their lumps and man, yeah. they bring these guys back next year. No, this is like, this is, they just feel sort of stuck to me where I thought they were a low ceiling, high floor team coming into the year. And now I feel like they're a low ceiling, low floor team where like it could really go south for them here at some point. Yeah. I mean, and I think the tough part for them is that, yes, Tennessee has struggled. They don't look very good, which is great for the Colts. You think, okay, well, we are the best positioned team to take advantage of that but now the jaguars might be a thing and if the jaguars are a thing this year suddenly they look better than the colts they just shut out the colts in week two and that was with no michael pittman with no darius leonard or no shaq leonard excuse me but i i would say that that's still a a relatively scary proposition um if the jaguars are good i don't know that the colts are a better team right now given how they've played not just in that one game but through the first three weeks of the season yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I'm not, I'm interested to see how that game against the Titans plays out. Like, I feel like the Titans have issues, but at least have, you know, I, I have more faith that the Titans are going to be sort of, you know, competitive on a weekly basis and not have as low of a floor. I could end up being wrong about that, but, um, you know, just watching them, I feel better that they're sort of making the most of the situation they're in. Whereas I watched the Colts and I'm just like, did this team practice this week? Like, did, did these guys just meet each other, uh, before the game? And then you just look at some of the gaping holes at some of their premium positions. It, it, it's really concerning. A man who does not just show up not having practiced all week, a man who shows up prepared, a man who shows up ready to do his job at a high level each and every time he's on the podcast is the ringer Shil Kapadia. Shil, where can people check out more of your work this season? Yeah, I feel like I, I already gave out all the plugs. So yeah, those shows, those shows are on the Ringer NFL feed. A uh, Monday night one called Extra Point Taken, a Thursday one called The Scramble. So those are on the Ringer NFL feed. If you want Eagles coverage, we've got the Ringer's Philly special that we record uh, twice a week. And then I write a weekly column, my picks against the spread, which is really just a bunch of league-wide thoughts in addition to the picks that publishes on the ringer.com every Thursday. Tremendous. Well, Shil, you know it's always an honor and a privilege to have you on the show. So thanks so much for hopping on. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks so much to my guest, Shil Kapadia of The Ringer. Loved being on Shil's show. Of course, love having Shil on this show. Hope you guys are enjoying the NFL season. I have more stuff coming up on ESPN.com, of course. Check out ESPN Daily, where I was on last Sunday with Pablo Torre. I think we're coming back next week for a week five if I can do math in my head correctly, week five preview uh, later upcoming next week and also on Debatable, I believe this Monday morning. So hope you guys are enjoying the NFL season. Hope you guys are entertained. More football on the way next week.